0: C. diff spores and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at cloroxhealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala.
1: Welcome to the program and thank you for joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products keeping environments safer, CloroxHealthCare.com forward slash C. diff radio. It's a great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Linda Jablonski, Director of Nursing and Home Health and the C. diff Foundation, and Barbara Schaefer. These ladies are both here today to discuss the importance of self-care for the caregiver. At this time, I would like to welcome our guest to the program. Welcome and thank you for being with us today, Linda and Barbara. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for having me on the show. Pleasure.
2: Thank you very much, Nancy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you,
1: Linda. Thank you, Barbara. Today's episode holds valuable key points that we appreciate you sharing with our global listeners. So I want to start the program off by asking Barbara, if you wouldn't mind um, telling our listeners how you would define a caregiver.
2: Well, a caregiver is a person who cares for Someone who's either sick or disabled or a child or someone who, for whatever reason, needs a major aspect of their life uh, taken care of because they cannot do it themselves.
1: Okay. I thank you for that, uh, Barbara. Mm -hmm. And, um, Barbara, can you also explain to our listeners something about what self-care
2: is? Yes. um, Self-care is taking care of one's own needs. So in the case of uh, being a caregiver, it can be extremely stressful and extremely draining, and a person may not even be aware that they aren't even taking care of their own needs. So um, it's it's your basic life needs to exist to um, be able to... Deal with whatever life throws at you at a da- on a daily basis, and um, it's it's something that you can implement throughout the day.
1: Okay, Barbara. Well, thank you. And Linda, there are a lot of times when there's more one there's more than one caregiver uh, taking care of a, a, a loved one, a patient at home. Right. Uh, do you mm-hmm. do you have any suggestions regarding how? Uh, more than one caregiver can work together? Sure. Uh, Well, first, when it comes down to anything
3: with people working together, the key is trying to communicate. (laughs) Okay. Um, There can be instances where you have caregivers, one that might be closer, live closer to the patient, and somebody's away, out of the area, What they can try to do is coordinate uh, tasks so that um, kind of alleviate a little bit of the the workload there. Uh, One person can maybe perhaps do more of the hands-on, obviously the person that's nearby, or shopping or things like that, uh, manage things that are more locally based. And the other caregiver or caregivers, can um, perhaps do things that have to be, uh, can be done away, such as uh, phone calls, uh, calling doctors, uh, setting up appointments, um, doing things online, taking care of needs that can be done online, banking needs, um, home management needs. So that it doesn't all fall on that one person. So nowadays at least we ha we have that technology where caregivers can be all around and everybody can have um a part in taking care of the patient. And exactly. the whole thing is just letting each other know, you know what they're doing. Oh, I think okay. that sometimes when people have a specific thing a task, they don't know, they, they might have been thrust into the caregiving role, and they don't know what they, uh, there is to do,
1: but there is just so much. So Right, um, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Linda, maybe um, separating the uh, caregiving in like uh, medical versus non-medical, uh, would Absolutely. that would be helpful to them also, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I um, And you can go with the people's, uh,
3: the caregiver's strengths. I mean, if you have somebody who's, you know, that's their forte and they are a medical person, well, definitely, you know, that's something that, um, then they'd be most comfortable in and would be most beneficial also to the patient and also to the caregiver. Then they're not in foreign territory, so to speak. Exactly. Uh, mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Barbara, uh, are, do you know of any groups or organizations that can assist caregivers?
2: Well, there are a number of groups and organizations, um, and they may vary depending on the reason for the caregiving. Um, some, If it's related to a particular illness, for instance, um, there may be organizations that um, have support groups for caretakers for that particular illness, Um, It's something that uh, if the um, caregiver is not already aware of, they can certainly Google specific to what their situation is. Um, They can find people going through the same experiences um, or similar experiences that they're living with each day. And if they cannot leave the house, Uh, There are actually Internet groups that are also available, so they can have online support um, if if they're not able to actually physically attend a community support group. Um, And the VA, uh, for instance, if they are caregiving for somebody who's a a vet, um, has a lot of different organizations
1: Hmm. Okay. So, but here's the thing. If they don't have a computer, um, we always assume that everyone has one at this day. Uh, But we know a lot of seniors who are not computer literate, you know, and they don't own a computer. So where would they be able to um, contact by telephone? Uh, Maybe the local, um, the local, I'm trying to think here. Linda, can you help me out?
3: If I could interject, they could try with the Department of Health. Mm-hmm. Um, they can, um, I know uh, here uh, I'm in Florida, we do have in this county, we have a Department of Health and they might be a source of a lot of referral. Uh, there's also, uh, they could contact the hospital and ask for the social services department
2: and see what they can suggest. Yeah, I think that's an excellent suggestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can all, they can also use the yellow pages. Sometimes you can find something like that, even in oh, the yellow sure. pages. I still keep a phone book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thanks, ladies. Um, uh-huh. Okay, and what about professionals that can assist caregivers?
2: Well, uh, there's a... I'm sorry, go ahead, Linda.
3: No, I was just going to say mm-hmm. such as social workers um, the whole spectrum. Go ahead. This is, uh, this is for you,
2: Barbara. Well, uh, I, I will, um, echo that. Certainly, uh, social workers are a good source, um, if they are, if, if the person being cared for is connected with, um, a hospital or a doctor or, um, some kind of service or agency, uh, that's one route to look for a social worker, um, who is somebody that might be able to assist with, um, something the caregiver may need or have a question for or reach out for. Um, if they have some, you know, personal issues that are being triggered by caring, um, for the the person uh, then certainly um, seeking uh, a therapist or somebody that they can talk about some of these issues that are being triggered within them, uh, professional help in that way, uh, reaching out to their doctor, reaching, reaching out to nurses, mm-hmm. depending on what the needs or questions are. And
3: okay. if somebody's um, being seen by a home health agency... They have visiting nurses. Um, we, uh, visit, the home health agencies, also have visiting social workers, too. If they're under um, care, you first ha- would have to have the nursing go in and so forth. But that's another way that um, caregivers can access, or can you know actually have a face-to-face with a uh, licensed professional there.
1: Okay, and uh, Linda, are there any accreditations or professional licenses a caregiver needs to be aware of?
3: I'm going to refer that uh, to uh, Barbara because she is a licensed social worker, and I think that would be interesting for listeners to know the different types of social workers or, you know, what their scope is. Some, I think sometimes people just might say social worker and they're not a licensed social worker. Uh, Barbara, could you explain a little bit about that for the audience?
2: Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. So social workers, uh, particularly medical social workers, are often a great resource um, for uh, caregivers you know, or anybody else who has some kind of um, connection. Regarding medical um, questions, needs, resources for the emotional um, or concrete supports, and I think um, that what a social, social worker is a very confusing term in our society because a lot of mm-hmm. people are called social workers, although they may even though they don't have the formal training in social work. So um, a social worker. A, Uh, true social worker is somebody who's actually gotten their degree or their master's degree, mostly because, you know, master's degree, which is an MSW master's in social work. And um, people trained in social work are trained to look at um, every person and situation in a very eclectic manner. They look at the individual, they look at the biology of the individual, uh, the family, the community, um, what the actual um, situation at that moment is that the person is, is dealing with, um, the environment, they, they look at every aspect that's impacting that person and, and they're trained to look at all, all of that, including, you know, the psychosocial. And okay. um, um, somebody who's licensed has to at least have their master's degree and then they have to have a certain amount of hours, which is usually at least two years of supervised um, clinical hours where where they're reporting back to somebody and and getting more training beyond their master's degree. And then after that, after those hours are put in, they can have it go for an exam. And once they pass the exam, they become licensed. And to keep up their license, they have to have a certain amount of training every two years uh, to keep their license active.
1: Well, Barbara, thank you so much for providing the information, and Linda, thank you also. Uh, we uh-huh. are going to break for a commercial at this time. When we return, we will continue discussing the importance of self-care for the caregiver with our guests, Linda Jablonski and Barbara Schaefer. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. <laughs>
0: Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call 1-844-367-222. Two three four three. That's one eight four four for C Diff. Because C difficile lives on surfaces for weeks. Because it infects nearly five hundred thousand Americans yearly. You need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? for additional information on handwashing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org.
2: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
1: Welcome back to CDF Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network. We welcome our listeners joining us today. Our guests are Linda Jablonski, Director of Nursing and Home Health Care and the CDF Foundation, and Barbara Schaefer. Both Linda and Barbara join us today to discuss the importance of self care for the caregiver. It's a pleasure to reintroduce Linda and Barbara to the program. Thank you so much for joining us today, ladies. Thank you. Oh, my. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Well, we're so glad that you're both here and sharing this really important information to our global listeners today. And Mm -hmm. right now, I think expanding on self-care, Barbara, would you like to elaborate on ways to
2: practice self-care? Sure. Uh, In a nutshell, it's taking care of yourself in whatever way is helpful to you. The basics, of course, are remembering to eat, sleep, and physical activity, a lot of times people will say, and this can be in any aspect of life, whatever you're doing, oh, I didn't have one moment to take lunch today. So it's making sure you implement that time to take lunch, uh, feed yourself, make sure you're getting your nutrition, take a little break, um, whatever makes you feel good. Uh, even small brain breaks, you know, a cup of coffee or making a quick phone call, uh, they have found, uh, studies have found that m- more, uh, implementing more breaks within your day actually is helpful for you um, with working. Um, a caregiver may be thrown into caregiving suddenly uh, due to an acute medical crisis and they may not have any idea how long that will be for. And um, so they really need to sustain their energy to continue caregiving very much like in an airplane when before you give them oxygen mask to a child, you give it to yourself or you won't even be able to give it to that child. And um, Mm -hmm. just one quick uh, major suggestion is to remember that if you are in a situation where you are doing it all and you know, you're one person and all is beyond what you can do, ask for help. Remember to ask um, others, you know, to help you if, if you have that need, okay. And we know that caregiving
1: um, may a caregiver may be uh, thrown into a caregiving role uh, suddenly due to any acute medical crisis. Uh, they may not have any idea how long uh, the it'll take or how long it'll be uh, that they'll be in this role. Um, Linda, would you like to share with the, uh, our listeners how can someone sustain their energy to continue? Caregiving.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I would echo what Barbara's been saying as far as with the self-care. Uh, taking that time uh, to take care of your own needs uh, because once it, it becomes overwhelming and it's, it, you can never get time back. That's Once it's spent, it's it's gone. So just taking out, trying to carve out some time. For what you have to do, and it's it's not necessarily a fluff things. It's also, I mean, as far as taking care of yourself, I'm not talking about a manicure. I'm talking about even just things like taking care of your own bills, your own finances, your own medical appointments. Don't uh, go back on them. Um, other things you're, that are part of your own, da- you know, your own management of yourself, uh, because. It can very easily just go the wayside because everything is focused on, that, uh,
1: on the patient that one's caring for. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And Barbara, how do you convince someone to take care of themselves so that they can continue uh, the caregiving routine?
2: Well, you really cannot convince anyone of anything That they choose not to do. So I think all you really can do is to offer the suggestion and the support and introduce the idea and explain what it means because people may not really understand what self care is. Um, Someone, for instance, may think, I need a vacation. That's my self care. I need a vacation and obviously they can't take one or two weeks off in whatever situation they're in. Um, so what they really need to know is that it's something incorporated into their daily life to alleviate that daily stress. Again, whether it's just picking up the phone at some point and making a connection with a child or a friend, um, just for a few moments, needing that that social or personal interaction, or or something even like what Linda just said, taking care of your finances. Maybe it means, you know, taking a five-minute break and paying that bill. So it's off your mind. Or even doing that, you know, in the very in, beginning before you start um, the caregiving if, if you have specific hours. So it's mm-hmm. not weighing on your mind all day long.
1: Exactly. And Linda, caregivers are often challenged by time, either the restrain or lack of. Um, do you have any suggestions that may help our caregivers listening on balancing time in their life?
3: That's a tough one.
1: <laughs> I think it's uh,
3: you've got to start with probably realizing that you can't do everything. So it just seems overwhelming. And, uh, when you're looking at this whole big thing, I've got to do this, I've got, you know, you have to realize your own limits. Um, then trying to balance that time also. So you kind of prioritize also, uh, with what time you have, uh, available as to what is the most important thing that needs to be done. Um... And I I also say look, it's also a perspective thing. Looking at it as okay, really, one day at a time. This is what I can do. Um. I can't I can't do everything. Asking for help is another big thing, like we had just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you need more time. And okay.
1: Prioritize. Mhm. No, you're you're that's exactly. Prioritize. Yeah. And, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the both of you are so right. Ask for help. That's, that's okay. really the key here. And um, Barbara, are there any specific indicators that warn caregivers that they may be approaching caregiver burnout?
2: Yeah. Um, there's a lot of them. And some of them may, um, it's helpful to be aware of yourself. Or others may notice things and bring it to your attention, um, such as you know you may find unpleasant in feelings, uh, behaviors, uh, being impatient or resentful, or bad habits um, from the past. Uh, if you weren't a smoker and you, or had been a previous smoker and start smoking again, or More smoking, if you are a smoker, uh, drinking, overeating. Um, Those are some of the behaviors. But some of the other uh, feelings that you might... um, uh, Are increased irritability or impatience, um, difficulty planning because of of that feeling overwhelmed, not knowing where to begin, difficulty concentrating... um, Maybe even if you're in a personal situation, uh, denying that things are as bad as they really are, um, mm-hmm. intrusive thoughts, uh, any of those types of things, there, there could be a whole lot of them, um, decrease in productivity, change in eating patterns or sleeping patterns, um, uh, scattered thinking, um, okay. and, and to, To the extent of, um, if you get to the extent of even thoughts of uh, self-destructive thoughts, which at that point you you may want to utilize a crisis line or Mm -hmm. um, a therapist. Okay. And before we go to break, Linda, do
1: you have, um, can you express to our listeners what they can do if they reach this point?
3: Um, Well, the whole thing is trying to be aware if things are building up, and if they do feel that they've reached that point, I I really encourage caregivers to seek some help out there. If there isn't um, professional help that they can access, um, at least a a good friend to talk about it, uh, speak to their own primary doctor, Um, they a lot of times, it can be very open and very helpful uh, at that time because they're used to seeing people in you know both ends of the spectrum. They deal with the patients, but they also deal with the caregivers, the families, and close friends who are taking care of it. So they've heard both sides. So I definitely would encourage a person, even if it if it's a doctor's appointment for yourself, to talk about. Oh, I can't sleep at night, I'm not eating right, and so forth, before it becomes a medical problem for the caregiver. That's the danger there.
1: OK. And then well, Lin: yeah. Linda and Barbara, we're going to pause at this time for our commercial break. Thank you so much for sharing the important information with our global listeners. When we return, we will continue discussing the importance of self-care for the caregiver. With our guests Linda Jablonski and Barbara Schaefer. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages.
4: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, Blackberry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market.
0: To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free one 844 4 c That's 1-844-367-2343. The C. Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 1 844 4 C. diff one 367 2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 844 367 2, 3, 4, 3. That's one c diff Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks. Because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly. You need disinfectants you can trust.
1: Welcome back to C. diff Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network. We welcome our listeners joining us today. Our guests are Linda Jablonski, Director of Nursing and Home healthcare, and C. diff Foundation, with Barbara Schaefer. Both Linda and Barbara join us today to discuss the importance of self-care for the caregiver. It's a pleasure to reintroduce Linda and Barbara to the program. Thank you for joining us today, Linda and Barbara. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here with us and providing our listeners with the important information in regards to caregiving. And Linda, do you know of an organization that is focused on caregivers?
3: Yes, I've come across in some research uh, that I've done on the topic, uh, the National Caregivers Alliance. Uh, They do have a website. I don't have the number. Uh, Okay connected with them, but that would probably be a very good resource. Uh, there is many people now actively caregiving and um, it's just uh, support is needed for them and that's what we're trying to do here. So I think from that is, you know, from necess- necessity, uh, this organization has been created. So that's nationalcaregiversalliance.org.
1: Okay, wonderful. And if um, individuals don't have a computer, we know that the local libraries do offer uh, computers uh, that they can utilize. So, uh, mm-hmm. Or a friend, uh, or even off their telephone. So we hope that right. they will be able to get this information. And being prepared uh, is part of, of self-care, we understand. And it helps to disc- decrease anxiety when one is prepared, And Barbara, would you like to share the documents that are beneficial to have prepared in the event of a medical crisis?
2: Sure. Um, Some of the documents might be um, a durable power of attorney, you know, for health care, a living will, um, seeking a power of attorney for financial uh, situations that may arise, and a trust. uh, the trust, and maybe seeking a healthcare
1: surrogate. Okay, mm-hmm. and these are really important documents in, in the event um, the patient or loved one uh, becomes uh, incapacitated or unable to verbalize their their desires, their wishes. So, we appreciate you sharing that with us. And Linda, what's the reason for having these documents? I think I just said that, didn't I?
3: <laughs> well, you did, and I'll extend a little bit on it. Um, Thank you. A lot of times there's so many gray areas when it comes to medical decisions, and uh, the family or loved ones are faced with a lot of anxiety. What would she want? He want to be done in this situation that particularly if you, well, you have a health care surrogate. That means you have an individual who's designated to make some major decisions there regarding the health care situation because the person cannot um, speak for themselves, uh, whether it's, you know, um, the the medical situation is just kind of like taken over now where they cannot make a uh, lucid uh, decision with the information that's pre- presented. So you have a, uh, an individual that's designated, And then the advanced directive is going to uh, spell out uh, what the person would like to have done, the extent of um, medical procedures, Mm -hmm. um, things like do they want a feeding tube, do they not. I've been in many situations where somebody is critically ill and uh, they try... The decision makers are trying to discern what what would the person want. So it really does alleviate a lot of stress and you're respecting the person, the patient, their wishes, and so forth. So um, in in that regard, um, that is the major reason for having the documents because it's
2: speaking for the patient. Okay. I just would like to add that um, I think, just to piggyback on what Linda is saying, that the importance of doing this in advance um, Mm -hmm. for the person who's preparing, who's doing these documents, is that you can think about very um, difficult situations and make difficult decisions while you're not under stress or pressure. Exactly. And you have the frame of mind to really think these things through as opposed to when the moment arises. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and
3: sometimes a lot of people, um, it can be a financial hardship. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's something to explore as far as, and again, they can contact the hospital about ways that maybe um, it can be done uh, without causing a financial hardship. But at least start a, a conversation about it. And exactly. sometimes, yeah, doctors will. Okay, well, we don't have anything in writing. Did they ever speak to you about it? So mm-hmm. that that would be the beginnings.
1: Mm-hmm. And one thing I, I I just wanted to share with um, our listeners too is these documents can be changed at any time. Uh, it, it and the, um, they do have the forms available at the hospital through the social workers. Uh, they can also be purchased either online or at the stores of um, the stationery stores. Uh, office mm-hmm. supply stores actually have a, a, a kit that can be purchased. Uh, it, you don't always have to run to an estate planner. So right. I just, you know, I wanted to share that also. It can
3: help, though, if you do have a medical person to kind of explain what, you know, the ifs and Mm -hmm. ands, what what it might mean. For instance, what the pros and cons. Exactly. There, again, you can uh, refer back to the primary care doctor um, or a nurse that uh, might be familiar and might be able to
1: help. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, Barbara, do you know if the requirements for these documents vary from state to state?
2: Uh you know I'm not um completely familiar with that aspect legally but I think that's uh certainly a strong possibility and so it's very important to um look into that um depending on what state you are in
3: Yeah we're I'm a sorry? very mobile society too and I've heard conflicting information on that So uh yeah It's something that needs to be considered. Uh,
1: You can have a
3: health care surrogate out of state and all kinds of things like that. So you don't want that confusion added.
1: Mm-hmm. We um, have we have patients who uh, live in six months in one state and six months in the other, and they've gone to uh, legal advisors who have a drawn up documents in both states just to make sure oh, okay. that they are covered in both states. So that was a really good idea, too. Yes, yes.
2: Now, Another, Linda,
1: do you... Um, sorry. Go ahead, Barbara.
2: Yeah, another resource um, to consult regarding some of these issues might be the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or, or was that the one that you already mentioned, Linda? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That, that was mentioned before. Okay.
1: No, that's great. And the the more resources we can provide to our listeners, the the more uh, education and information uh, is beneficial to them. So thank you, Barbara. Mm-hmm. And Linda, do you know who can prepare these documents and who should receive a copy of them?
3: Well, as far as we were just talking about who can prepare them, um, I think in uh, this state, in Florida, uh, you can have a paralegal. uh, You can have the document drawn up and possibly get it notarized. I am not absolutely certain, so I don't want to pass on the wrong information. They can just contact. I would say a paralegal is what I've heard um, for Florida. Uh, what's important though is now you've got these documents drawn up. Who who gets the copies of them? Definitely the healthcare surrogate, the person that has been named as the decision maker, should have a copy. The uh, patient's individual doctor their primary care physician. Um, If there's a lawyer, uh, that would be another individual that should have a copy. Um, Because this is something also that's often asked if there becomes a very critical, you know, situation. Uh, Who has a copy? (laughs) Exactly. I've run into that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you did. (laughs) No. No, you should have, there should be several copies.
1: Okay, and Barbara, uh-huh. before we go to break, um when the patient is a minor, what are the important things for a parent and a caregiver to do?
2: Well, in addition to self-care, which again is extremely important, uh some of the concrete things um may be definitely interacting with the school uh if the student if the child is school age. Make sure they know what's going on. Um, every child has a right to an education, and how that is um, uh, exercised may be may vary somewhat um, from state to state. So be aware that the child does have that right, and that there may be um, ways to uh, access um, support uh, from the different school districts, depending on what state you are in. So definitely look into that.
1: Okay. And Mm -hmm. thank you, Linda and Barbara. Uh, We are going to pause for a commercial break at this time. And when we return, we'll continue discussing the importance of self-care for the caregiver with our guests, Linda Jablonski and Barbara Schaefer. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. (laughs)
2: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. Diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. Diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call 1-844-367-222. 2343. That's one 4 c diff Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks. Because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly. You need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at Foundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala.
1: Welcome back to C. diff spores and more global broadcasting network. And we welcome our listeners joining us today. Our guests are Linda Jablonski, director of nursing and home health care and the C. diff foundation with Barbara schaefer Both Linda and Barbara join us today to discuss the importance of self-care for the caregiver. It's a pleasure to reintroduce Linda and Barbara to the program. Thank you so much for joining us today, ladies. You have been so helpful. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. It's really a pleasure. Well, thank you both. And before we close today's program, um, Barbara, would you be able to voice to our listeners um. The like. Have you ever heard of any caregiver uh, express what they wish they had known before they entered caregiving?
2: Well, I think I might ask uh, Linda that question. Is there anything you wished you would have known, having done this work for many years? You know, well, when you first entered.
3: Yeah. Um. I think I. I'm going to extract from my own personal experience when I was put into a caregiving situation I wish at that time under because of oh, different circumstances um, I had felt a lot of isolation and in my caregiving experience as much as I wanted to do it and I, I did it but I think uh, what I wish uh I had known at that time was if somebody had encouraged me or if I had known that it was really of uh importance to ask for help, and uh if anybody offered, accept it. wasn't getting too much <laughs> as far as offers of help, but to exactly. ask for it i mean at at the least, you know somebody is going to say no, I can't do it, I'm not a caregiver. I can, and then maybe you can say, well, you know, could you make these appointments or can you deal with uh, the insurance company or something like that or the pharmacy? But asking right. for help is definitely something uh, that's up there that I wish I had known.
1: Well, thank you, and Linda, that, for sharing that. Yeah, mhm. Mm-hmm. That's so important. And... Um, Barbara, we know that a lot of um, caregivers uh, who are listening, they were th- suddenly thrusted into this role. Uh, can you provide some highlights of self-care and caregiving uh, that will help them?
2: Yeah, um, being suddenly thrust into that role uh, may actually be very traumatic for someone, um, based on depending on what the circumstances are. If it's unexpected their relationship with the person that they're caring for. So um, as much as possible, you know, to be aware that um, those are possibilities and that they may um, need to uh, really take on that self-care. Again, reach out for help, as, as Linda had mentioned, ask for help. Um, be aware of the burnout um, that they may be experiencing, and um, again, the different signs uh, or are their eating or sleeping habits changing? They, uh, to some people, they may sound simple or insignificant, but they're very significant, very important to be aware of those basic needs um, for that keep you. Uh, alive and running throughout the day and healthy as possible and um, again um, if if there's a lot of emotional uh, stress added to their lives um, if they are able to seek out any kind of professional help somebody who can really talk to them and help weed out what's going on. Sometimes when you're thrust into a situation it can trigger a lot of uh, issues that you may be aware of, may have you dealt with in the past or may never have even dealt with or been aware of. So um, just seek out support in any way that you can, uh, whether it's through a support group, whether it's professionally through seeking out therapy, um, whether it's through uh, the health facility or medical facility, if they have a social worker, um, seek out support that way. Um, whatever, um, resources out there. Uh, Certainly Mm -hmm. social workers are very good at finding resources and and helping people in a multitude of ways.
1: Exactly. Thank you, Barbara. And Linda, would you be able to share um, some information about respite care that might be available in the communities for the caregivers?
3: Sure. Uh, The concept of respite care is really to give the caregiver some time to... uh, Step aside, take care of their own needs, or if they need, uh, they have another obligation. <laughs> but it's uh, it's kind of like taking a break time. Um, that can sometimes be arranged if uh, the person is under the care of hospice. And what they would do is they would have the uh, the patient then would uh, could possibly go to a nursing facility and be admitted there for a temporary basis, say a week, or whatever is needed. Um, Sometimes the caregiver has to have their own medical things taken care of. Let's say they have a medical procedure that needs to be done. They need that time, and uh, that's when I would encourage people, yes, definitely see what there is available out there for for respite care. It is a concept that's recognized as uh, trying to keep everything intact, So that the uh, the patient thrives, the patient heals, the caregiver uh, can continue on, and uh, chances of caregiver burnout are diminished.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to thank both of you, Barbara and Linda, for joining us today on CDF Sports, a more global broadcasting network. Uh, We have certainly learned a great deal from today's discussions. And we look forward to having you both join us again in the future.
2: Okay. Oh, well, <laughs> thank thank you. you very much. I I would love that opportunity again. It's been really wonderful. Thank you and thank well, you for this wonderful organization that you have.
1: Uh, thank program. you. Thank you, Barbara. And thank you, thank Linda.
3: You, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank well, you, you so know much how much we it. appreciate people like you and professionals like you. Um, you know, you're out there and taking care of these patients and we we really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, we are, okay. we are here every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time with our guests to discuss up-to-date information focused yet not limited to C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, clinical studies, environmental safety, and much more. Once again, we thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit their website, cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash C. We would also like to take this opportunity to thank Synthetic Biologics for being the diamond sponsor of our fifth annual international C. diff awareness conference and healthcare expo being hosted at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas at the Thomas & Mack Center and the Embassy Suites by Hilton Convention Center on November 9th and 10th. For additional conference information and to register, please visit the CDF Foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a C. difficile infection and the many wellness-draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Kerala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone, all of us can do this together. We wish you a good day and good health.